Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Peace, family. This episode was originally recorded on video. If you want to check out the images that go along with the conversation, then head over to youtube.com slash at BLK Shutter. Enjoy the episode. It's nerve. And if you have the nerve to get your work out there, then someone else will see it. And it does not have to be great. I mean, because great is relative and no one really cares. I mean, like that people make art for the art world. And that's one piece of work that you can definitely see. And then people make work for regular people too, right? So like you never know what you're going to see and you never know what, like who is going to see the work. What's going on, y'all? You have just tuned in to the Black Shutter Podcast. On this show, I invite black photographers, filmmakers, editors, and creative business folks to discuss their experiences and share their wisdom. You will hear about their work, their challenges, and their inspirations. My name is Idris Talib Solomon, a creative director, photographer, and filmmaker based in Brooklyn, New York. So if you dig photography and you love the culture, keep your mind open and your headphones locked. This is the Black Shutter Podcast. Chris Graves, welcome Hi. to the Black Shutter Podcast. How you feeling, bro? I'm I'm feeling good, man. Thanks for having me again. It's been a while since the first one. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, you know, for those who don't know, um, I had you on a, the audio podcast a while back, and uh, I wanted to bring you back on this episode to just talk more specifically about publishing, about mm-hmm. books. You know what I mean? I feel like uh, a lot of photographers, we... See, we go to galleries, we see large prints in in, in, in the museums and, you know, exhibits. And, um, you know, but some of us overlook, you know, um, what it what it means to publish a book and have, like, something tangible that you can hold in your hands, man. So yeah. definitely want you to, um, you know, want to have a conversation with you about publishing and how you got into the craft. So um, for those out there who don't know who you are, Chris, uh, just give us a brief rundown of, you know, who you are and the type of work that you do. Uh, well, my name is Chris Graves. I'm a photographer and publisher based in New York City. Um, as far as the art I'm making, which is mainly photography, I focus on photographing uh, portraiture and landscapes, portraiture of my family and people that I have known for a long time, or just like family and friends is what I focus my own work on. And with landscapes, I photograph a lot in Queens and, and all the boroughs of New York, as well as just making kind of architectural landscapes around the country and world when I get the chance. So those are kind of my practices of making photography Um, and publishing. I started as a gallerist in uh, Dumbo about 12 or I guess 13 years ago or something, 14 years, a long time ago, I started a a gallery that I want that I changed into a publishing company, which is what I run now. Mm. So, during the time that you were a gallerist, were you a photographer as well? Yeah, I went to school for photography and gra- graduated from Purchase College in 2004. So since then, I've been making photographs, uh, usually on a job making photographs, either freelance or with, a, with an organization of some sort. Indeed, indeed. So uh, 
the the photo was a part of your you know um your interest for a while in different yeah. in different capacities yeah totally i um I got interested in photography, I think in high school, well, definitely in high school when I realized that I didn't want to do anything besides art and my parents allowed me to go to art school or even apply for art school. So they were both artists and then had to just get jobs, you know, like being black in the eighties, you, you can't really be an artist. Um, not, not most, most people still can't be artists, I guess, cause it just is a life of ruin. But, um, but yeah, so they allowed me to go to, uh, to, to go to an art school, art program. They, um, helped me pay for it a school, a state school here in New York. And, um, and since then I've just tried to focus on photography cause it's kind of the only art form that you can make money at and do alone. That's kind of mm. how I figured. Indeed. Indeed. So, you know, and you actually did something interesting by, you know, one being a photographer, but then also, you know, you're the founder of monolith editions, which is a black owned publishing house dedicated to, you know, showcasing the work from artists of color, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, uh, marginalized communities. So, um, I think what, uh, you know, that's taking the craft of photography and sort of expanding a little bit outside of photography just because publishing is a completely separate industry. Yeah. I mean, there is photography in publishing and that's kind of, you know, you can't have any picture books without photography, really. I mean, you mm -hmm. can't, every time you see a painting in a book or anything in a book, really, it's been photographed. So most of the books you see with a picture in it, somebody photographed those pictures. So it's everywhere, really. Um, cookbooks, of course. Anyway, so there's like, publishing is like photography. Photography is publishing. It's like a, it's like a, you can't have one without the other for the most part. I mean, mm -hmm. it will be very difficult. Um, Absolutely. So, I, yeah, I decided to open up Monolith during COVID. I mean, like George Floyd protests and I just kind of wanted a different model. Like, it's my second company um, and it is focused on people of color, but not only photography. So we work with artists in all disciplines. Mm -hmm. Slowly. I mean, that we, we make books maybe twice, once or twice a year. And so you have the Chris Graves project, mm -hmm. right? Which is the one that works with all artists. Yeah, well, all artists that make photographs or ph photographic pro process. Got it, got it. And Monolith works with artists outside of photography. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Beautiful, beautiful. So I want to jump into some of... Um, I have a few, I have three projects of yours that mm -hmm. I would love to, you know, um, showcase the work, but also talk to you about um, the art and the craft and the business of publishing. All right, so this is... The first project that I wanted to speak to you about, yeah. um, which is a bleak reality. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if you can, um, you know, tell us a little bit about how you got into the craft of publishing, like coming from being a gallerist and a photographer, like how did you eventually, you know, set your, your sights on being a publisher? Well, I started a gallery in 2009 in Dumbo right after the economy crashed because it was affordable. And... I ran it with my cousin who was a, um, running a hedge fund at the time, like a money markets fund. And, um, he was like covering it. I mean, it was really inexpensive, but still it cost money. So he's running his company out of the back in the mornings and I would run the gallery out of the front or we would run the gallery. Really. He was my gallery manager, but pretty much, uh, before that we did about six or seven group shows in Chelsea where we just kind of paid artists paid to be involved. So we just had these kind of 17 person group shows. Uh, really like that, built a model, built like a, um, not a really a business plan, but built a community of people that would come to those events. So we had this large community. 
And uh, we, yeah, we decided to open up that gallery and we, op- we had it open for about two and a half, three years. Uh, during that time, I was also starting to get interested in books. But then by the time it, I was closing the gallery, I realized that books were just a better way to get uh, artwork in people's hands. I mean, I was 24, 25. Maybe when I closed it, I was 26 and something like that, like young. And I, none of my friends could afford anything we were selling. So mm-hmm. that was a problem. I mean, it was just like we could sell a few things, but no one we knew had money and it would be random if we sold stuff. So for me, uh, it was like, that's why publishing. Because if you want a book for 40 bucks, and I wanted to make all my books, I want I try to keep all the books inexpensive. So if you can spend $28 or 40 bucks, then that, um, you know, it's on you. It's not like, uh, no one's giving me $1,000 when they see something in a gallery. But if you like it and it's $40, maybe. So that's kind of why we pushed to publishing instead. Indeed. And um, so you wanted to take um art from the wall stuff that feels a little bit more um unattainable right for most of the like your friends and family and and make it something that was a lot more accessible for people to just kind of walk away with and, and have like this this book of artwork with them yeah for you know for us it was you know growing we wanted to grow our base of people we were all pretty young making this work and no one else was showing work like this that I was showing. So it was very unique. And this is a way to keep it more than just a show that, you know, no one remembers 12 years later. Mm-hmm. So um, right now we have some work of, of yours. Yeah. One of your, one of your um, published pieces is bleak reality. Can you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about this, this project? Yeah. So I was, um, I was doing a lot of like work that dealt with uh, like when black lives matter kind of, I mean, maybe started even in like, not started, but got really popular in I think 2015 or 16, around the time a lot of black people were getting killed on camera by police officers, um, wrongly. Of, and uh, I just say murdered, actually, murdered by police officers. And mm-hmm. um, I was trying to think about an idea about how to, how to make those photographs happen. Um, the first thing I did was called Testament Project, which is portraits with stories, um, audio, visual um, experiences. But I also wanted to make landscapes because I'm really interested in landscapes. I'm always doing a landscape project and a portrait project. Usually portraits are happening winter when it's too cold to be outside all the time. And then mm-hmm. for six months, I'm outside making, making landscapes. So uh, actually a friend that used to work at, uh, well, maybe she still works at Vogue. Vogue? No, sorry. Um, Vanity Fair used to run a, a blog or another website named Hive. I'm unsure if that's still around. I think the, they pushed it all over to Vanity Fair, but they asked me, if I would be interested in doing a project for them where it was about going to the landscapes and making photographs of where these uh, people were murdered. And I was like, mm. yeah, if I get to choose the landscapes as well as like everything in the project, like I, of course they offered me like zero, like not a lot of money. So I had to get like a little bit more out of them. Um, but then I pretty much spent, I picked eight locations spent. I was working. I mean, I've always worked full time really not now, but since uh, for my whole career for the most part so all these projects happen on weekends mm-hmm. when i can get out of work uh so what i do is i'd fly to a location like this is in um this is my uh, the murder of michael brown in ferguson at right outside of st louis and mm-hmm. i'd fly like here on a su- saturday morning photograph at the exact time as he got murdered and then mm-hmm. i would uh get out of fly to minnesota the same day 
I photographed so many of these places that it's like, it's just always sad. But I go to like three locations in a weekend, make the photographs, do it again the next weekend, do it again the next weekend. So I did it for like three weekends to get this story out. And uh, yeah, we ha- I had a friend named Thomas Chatterton Williams that I got to be the writer for the story. And he's like a, he's pretty excellent. So that was a, a added bonus for me to get him paid as well. Um, and then, you know, it ran on online and I think it got some very like positive and very negative feedback on the Vanity Fair side. So that was kind of fun too, to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, I decided that like, because it was never a printed matter and I make books that I would make my own book of the project. So I think the following year I made this book named Oblique Reality. And what I, the, you can't see the sizing in these pictures, but it is, it opens out to being a 20 by 24 inch piece of like a print. So when you open it, it's very large, right? Like, so these books are 20 by 20. Well, like the spread, if you open that, I mean, it's a 12 yeah. by 19.75 inch tall book. Um, so yeah, it's, a, it's pretty much a 2024 spread. So wow, that's... To, to keep the size and to keep the clarity because the pictures are like really sharp. So you should see everything in them. Every there's memorials and like all these photographs hidden mm-hmm. or in focus. And, um, yeah. So for me, it was like make a cheap book because I didn't know if people would buy it. I mean, staple bound, 24 pages, um, eight text pieces and eight um, photographs. I mean, that's pretty much what the book is. And uh, yeah, it's like I think it cost me probably 10 to 12 dollars a copy to make it made 200 copies and sold them over the next year, sold out and then reprinted them during COVID. Uh, Print another 200 during COVID, which I still have a few of. Is the goal to make money or is the goal to like break even? That would be like, really nice you... if I could make money. Um, <laughs> no, the goal is to just get the projects out into the world and not lose money. Those are the two goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you determine? So uh, a project like this, very powerful project, right? You know, um, the, the the height of Black Lives Matter and, uh, and these things are still occurring to this day. Um, I know a lot of people collect books to like showcase in their, in their homes, um, you know, uh, to flip through it for inspiration. Uh, but what makes you decide to make a printed book of, of with, with, with the content being so like emotionally like charged? Well, it's just my art. So I'm just going to do it. I mean, I think that there's no, I made the work and it, I don't care if people are offended or mm-hmm. I think it needs to be seen or I want people to see it. So that's why I make it. I mean, simple as that. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've made, I've definitely made more controversial work since then. <laughs> and, um, same deal. It's just like, whatever I, I try to step back from a scene. So these pictures are not like me pushing myself in and like, uh, trying to make a point. This is like, I showed up, this is the landscape of this space and you have to now, you can look at it, you cannot, but it's here for you to, to, to see. So I try to step back out of these scenes, like, I try to get a good viewpoint of the space, but that's pretty much where I end it. And I'm not changing colors. I'm not manipulating much besides showing you a picture that comes straight out of the camera. Hmm. You know, it's funny, like I'm in that camp of photographers who um, I don't, I don't look at my work and think about making prints, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I always wonder like, you know, how do some photographers have like this, uh, this almost like need to make their work printed, 
right? Yeah. Whether it's like large prints that you can hang on the wall or in, in book format, and, you know? And for me, I feel like that's like, uh, it's like a, a, a almost like a missing link, you know? And I feel like um, a few years ago, I had a project that I made a, a really, really small printed version of, and I brought it to class to share with my, my classmates. And I remember like that feeling of like, receiving it in the mail and be like, oh, okay, cool, and flipping through it. Mm -hmm. um, describe like the feeling you had when you, you got your first you got your first printed book in the mail and you kind of like ripped open the, the cardboard or the mm -hmm. box and, you know, kind of like flipped through the pages. The first book we ever made for the press was was a was a struggle. Um, it was called it is called Guardians of Solitude and it was Similar, huge, 16 by 20 inch book that opens to being 16 by 40 inches, cost a fortune. Um, and it's of these like uh, wild uh, scenes post wildfire in Idaho, like 40,000 acres of a Idaho wildfire burned. A photographer named Laura McPhee went out to photograph the rebirth of the forest over the four seasons. So it's like 48 pages, not very big, but enormous book. We So pretty much what I did to make that book was go to Strand and other bookstores in New York City for a, a whole summer find whoever could make a, like looked at every book, looked at everyone who made books, took all that information down and contacted all the presses and tried to figure out if it was possible to make a book this size, which was the size of her smaller exhibition prints. Um, and we found one and ran through the process uh, over the next year, pretty much it took a long time to make that. But that was kind of the biggest, that was the first thing. And then everything else was like, it's just a lot of stress in making books. So once I get it, I'm like, I'm just glad it's like good enough. Cause there's, there's almost nothing that's perfect. I mean, in my, uh, in my eyes, I'm, I'm, I try to be a perfectionist, but, um, I am not. And there's always something. Uh, so for me, it's like opening the books and being really happy, being able to sell them. But the thing is like, there's so much pressure besides me making the books. I love the books, but I also am the business runner and I have to, as soon as I get them, it's like, if I get a book made and I get 500 copies of a book, it's coming in on a pallet. I have to find a place to get the pallet. Back in the day, I didn't have a studio. I had the gallery, but then it closed. And then I didn't have a studio. So I would have to find a like storage space that would allow me to get a pallet in the front door. I'd unload the pallet onto a box truck, like just whatever they had, roll it up to my storage space and push the boxes in. And then, you know, take and then go back every few days to get boxes out to then ship individual books to people. Either I have to get them in or I have to get them signed by the artist shipped to people. Like, so it's a lot of like a, it's like a big process. So for me, it's like when I get a new book, it's not about like, Oh, this book's fucking awesome. Cause I already know it's mm -hmm. awesome. You know, mm -hmm. we've already gone through that. We've gone through the, we've probably seen one or two copies cause they came in early, like advanced copies. Mm -hmm. And we've got to like, love it for a minute. And then the work starts. So like, we just made a book with a dude named John Henry, a second printing of his first book, uh, which sold out way too fast. And we now have... That's a good thing, though, right? It, it's not... I mean, it is. Of course. It's great. It's a great thing. But the, the thing is, if you make 600 books and it costs $13,000 and you sell out and you want to make 600 more, it's $13,000. But if mm. you make 1000 the first time, it's like $15,000. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. So, so no, instead of spending I mean, twenty six thousand, I could have spent fifteen and had the same amount of books, like, so, or something like that. You know what I mean? Like I okay. spent an extra ten grand within the same year, and I should have been smarter, right? Oh, uh, if you would have got more in bulk, mm -hmm. you would have saved money on the print. Okay, so I got much. it. I got it. I would have saved ten grand this year. 
Wow. So see, then these are numbers. Yeah. These are numbers that I think that you know um, most people don't consider. I feel like you know um, going back to like the gallery space, right? And and then you know transitioning into publishing books. This is like I feel like that's like the glorified part of it. It's like mm-hmm. yeah, I have I have a I have a nice size photo on the wall. Got this book made, but then there's all of these numbers that. Um, and, and details that photographers aren't aware of, like as far as how to, if if not make your book profitable, at least break even, so you're not yeah. spending money and losing money, right? Yeah, but it's also like I'm a publisher, not a. In this case, for the most part, I've made like almost a hundred books, and I am a publisher for most of those, not mm-hmm. a, not a photographer. So it is more mm-hmm. about business, and I can yeah. see the numbers differently. But if you're a photographer in the same vein it's going to cost you almost triple to do all the stuff that I've done for the money. You know what I mean? Like, Mm. because you have to pay somebody to do it. Meaning like you have to find some, I mean, unless you're self publishing, it gets cheaper, but if you're going to go to a press, press presses ask for a lot of money. A lot of companies ask for a lot of money of artists to make books. So, Mm. and I mean, that's an average of now $30,000. I mean, like people pay that. I mean, there's people now that pay $45,000 to have a book that you get a thousand copies of, you get 200 of them. The press gets the rest. Maybe they sell, maybe they don't, but you spent 40 grand. So, wow. what is that? So, so you, you know, you, you're a full-time photographer, right? Mm-hmm. You, you run a publishing company. And from what I hear, you know, um, a lot of books aren't necessarily profitable, but you're, you're breaking even. So you're not spending a whole lot of money. Um, so what, what is the, what is your drive to continue doing this type of work? Like what, what drives you? No one else, you know, can you name another black publisher? Uh, no, I can't. How sad is that? I know. So for me, it's like I've, I started this thing and I'm going to end it. You know what I mean? Got it. Um, I mean, I, so, you know, I've, I've, you know, doing this podcast, I've been very fortunate to speak with a lot of photographers in a lot of different industries. And every once in a while, I speak to a photographer who creates something that's bigger than their work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, you're one of those photographers, right? That's very um, nice. Be, because, um, and, and, you know, I consider myself one of those photographers by, yeah, you know, this. wanting and to do this podcast, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so um, I think that uh, uh, one of the connecting threads between, you know, these people that I'm mentioning is that we see that there's a hole, there's a giant gap in this, this particular part of the industry where we don't see ourselves represented. We don't see, um, yeah. we don't hear podcasts. We don't see publishers. We don't see uh, books. Uh, you, we don't see a lot of things that represent us the way that we know we can be represented. Mm-hmm. So then it's like this sort of like unspoken responsibility that, you know, I, I feel like um, if I have the idea to do something, nobody's don't doing it and I'm driven by it, then I take it on as a responsibility, you know, because mm-hmm. it's like, if not me, who, if not now, when, right? Yeah. I think that you also have to want to do it. I mean, that's the thing. Like, yeah, it's a lot of responsibility, but if you didn't want to do a podcast, you could just not do that, right? Exactly. And if I didn't want to make books, then I would just, you know, not make them and it would be fine. I mean, my career mm-hmm. would probably be fine. Uh, yeah. Maybe. But the thing is, you meet people doing this, they and the people that you're working with know people that you never knew. And now you're connected to those people in some way. They will remember your name. They'll like, 
it's it's just it's kind of a fun it used to be like back in the day in new york you could just like i mean pre-covid if i walked around the city long enough like if i was outside for two hours i would run into somebody that i knew for sure no doubt no matter where i was in manhattan Mm -hmm. and that was cool that hasn't happened a lot since now it's starting again because people are outside but like I don't even know why I tell you that story, but I just think that you have to keep the connections alive. And if you're in your apartment alone doing your own work, then it's going to be very hard to do that. Um, and we had to be in our apartment so much in the last few years that, or our houses, so much in the last few years that you got to find a way to connect with people. And if that's going to be like books and podcasts, that's the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, it's like I don't really make books just because I'm the black, uh, the only black publisher. That I, not the only. There's a few. I know a few. But um consistent i'd make a lot of books and mm-hmm. i work with a lot of people and i just think that i have a eye that no one else cares for i mean the art world has its very big issues that i see and i think that i don't fit in that the people that i work with don't fit in that art world they don't fit in the um the like huge gallery spaces they don't fit in in auction houses that and they pr- may never so you know, like that's fine, but they also need some, some love and they also make really great work. So I'd love to work. Mm-hmm. With them. I mean, usually we make books because I saw a project and I was like, that's a great thing. And I wish that, you know, I don't wish that I made it, but I'm envious that someone made this project and I want to make it into a book. So being one of the few black uh, publishers in a, in the art and photography space, you know, um, how has that helped you to like uh, choose who you work with? You know, how has that dis- you know, um, I guess affected like how who you collaborate with? I don't think that. Well, I just choose people, so it's not like a lot of people. Well, I have a lot of um, I keep an open door policy, really. Like, so if you want to send me a submission, you can. I get the emails. I will try to email everybody back. Um, I try very hard to email everybody back. And so people are coming in, I'm seeing things online, I'm seeing things in person and that's how we're keeping the stuff alive. I don't think it's like, mm-hmm. for me, it's just like natural. I mean, I, if I like work, then I'll follow it and then see if there's like enough of it to make uh, printed matter out of it. And uh, how does the submission process work for you? There's no process. It's like, if you have a project that you think is complete and you want to share it, you can email me. And yeah, you can email me. That's it. There's no process. That's the process. Email me, you know, and tell me like, Hey, I'd like you to look at my website or I'd love to maybe send you a PDF, not in that first email maybe. And, or some JPEGs. I'll look. So, so, but the, like the process for actually choosing a person to make a book with, I mean, that's always random. I mean, some people come to me and I like it or not. And I say yes or no. I've been following artists for decades at this point. So I know who's making what. And I'm, you know, I sometimes put tabs on people and say like, Hey, look, man, if when you're done or Hey, look, when you're ready and done with this project, I'd love to, I'd love to put that into book form or like try to figure out how to make something printed of that work. So yeah, I keep it pretty. So how, how, so um, for a photographer who has never printed a book, and they they find like the submission tab on on your site, and they go through the process of it. Like, how, like how baked of an idea do they need to? Does it need to be? Do they have to have a layout? Do they have to have like a body of work already? I mean, the body of work I'm sure it needs to be there, but how organized do they have to be in the upfront? 
images. I don't need a PDF. I don't need you to have already put the book into design and layout and any of that. Like, I mean, I really actually don't like that. I think that because, well, I don't really care. I mean, you can show me whatever, but you could straight up show me 30 JPEGs. You can send me to your website and I'll look. I mean, we make so little books versus the amount of submissions we get that that's the only thing like I, maybe we make, well, I think we've made about 112 years or 10 years really. So we've only made, you know, this year we made three books, one, two, three, three books this year so far. Um, last year we made about four or five or, so, or six. So it's not a lot of books coming out. Like it's like, mm -hmm. if you're really good, send me your project. If you think that you need some time to be better, go be better. I mean, for mm -hmm. me, it's like, I can only choose work that I like. I mean, it is my company's. So like, if I don't really like it or I don't really think that I can sell it, it's not even about liking it. Cause that doesn't matter because I definitely make books that are hard and, um, are not like fan, like flashy photography books. They're just hard sells. And that's kind of why I say like, I just have to like it. I mean, that, that's it. Like you can send me whatever you want and I will either like it or not right away. And I will let you know soon that, yeah, I really like this. I would like to work with you or like, this is not, it doesn't fit us. Mm. I think I would say so to everyone to like research our website, there's like a lot of books and a lot of photographs on there. And if you think that we made your book already 10 years ago or something like that, maybe we don't want to make it again. Or mm. if, it's, if it's very similar to something else, or, you know, I think that for the most part, people like photographers, there's maybe 10% of photographers do enough research to know that they're not repeating something that happened 30 years ago, maybe 10%. Mm. So 90% of photographers will just be making work without thinking about the past. And then when they are ready to submit it, it will look like someone did it 30 years ago better. Right. And that's kind of hard because now you have this body of work that you really worked on a long time, but you were also working in a vacuum and it's, it's just repetitive. So, I mean, it's just like when, when I first started getting into the industry and, um, you know, I started out photojournalism path and people were saying, oh, you need to pitch stories. You need to, if you meet an editor at this newspaper, you need to pitch them stories. But then part of it was you had to research, do research to make sure like that story that you're pitching, they haven't done before, you yeah. know, so that you're not, you know, exactly, you know, exactly. I mean, the will. Yeah. And I don't really actually consider myself a publisher. I think that we're collaborating with artists to make artist books. It's a little different. I mean, I don't have a staff. I don't distribute. I don't um, sell to a lot of bookstores. I mean, it's literally our website is our sales platform for the most part. And mm -hmm. everything happens on the website or in book fairs where I'm sitting at a table or my boy Owen's sitting at a table. Like it's direct sales. It's not actually distribution and publishing. It's like working with artists is what we do. I mean, damn, this this takes me back to, like, my music days where, you know, uh, cats would put out a CD and be selling the joint out of the back of their trunk or they'll figure oh, yeah. out, yo, uh, these artists are performing tonight. Let's go to the after party and, like, hand-to-hand -hand sell these CDs to get mm -hmm. this work out, you know? Um, it sounds like the same thing, you know, boots on the floor out pushing these books. I need more merch. <laughs> For real. Wow. It's crazy, crazy, crazy grind, man. Um, you have, so yeah, because of that, like, again, I, I don't know how many people know, um, 
all the work that goes into what you do to like publish books and to get it out there. But mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're pretty, it sounds like you're pretty busy from the um, administrative side to the sales side. And um, you have to be really interested in, in, and passionate about getting this work out into people's hands. I think it should be in the hands. So like, I'll do what I can with the time I have in the day to try to like make, you know, get the right people, looking at the book, not the right people, but just getting people looking at the books. I think artists has friends that want books. I have people that mm-hmm. have been buying books for me for a long time. And I really focus on trying to get your books collected by major institutions. Like we mm-hmm. have a lot of great buyers and if we make a good book, they'll buy it. So at this point we can, you know, really, we try to get your books into Met, MoMA, Getty, Harvard, um, you know, Columbia, Schoenberg, if you're a person of color, you know, like, like specific institutions that will keep the, keep the story alive. Mm. And now if you, what does that mean? If you're able to get these books into these institutions, does that mean um, you, does that affect uh, your bottom line? Do you make more of a profit that way? Just or is it just book. more visible? So you make more money for selling that one book, but it's not like it was expensive mm-hmm. or anything. It's just, mm-hmm. you sell a book and now you are, your artist is collected by a major museum. I mean, what are the odds that our prints will be bought by MoMA or Met? Almost mm-hmm. zero. So for me, it's like you have something there. You have something in that building. If somebody goes yeah. to the MoMA and wants to see your book, they can give your name to the librarian and they will get your book out of the stacks because you are collected by the MoMA. That's so dope, man. So what is, it sounds like to me that, yes, this is definitely, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, you, it's a labor of love, right? But you're also, you know, doing something really huge for the for the culture, for the black creative community, and just to marginalize, you know, just for art, the art community in general, right? Um, and if the work that you're doing is has a has an opportunity for somebody to get their book into one of these major institutions that they would not have been able to do if they didn't work with you and, and you didn't like help to promote their stuff. Like that's a win, you know, oh, that's yeah. some, that's one more person whose work and whose story um, is out there and can build some more awareness. Totally. And maybe people will look at it, maybe they don't, but at least they have the option. I mean, if not, then you've sold 500 books to people in their houses that have it and no one can ever see it. Hmm. I mean, books wow. are this game where you're making a bunch of copies of something that 500 people will have that costs you $40,000 or not 40. It doesn't have to cost that. But like, like a book, co- I mean, for me, it's like you can't, I can't, at this point, every book that we make costs at least eight to $10,000, right? Um, so where does it live? I mean, if it lives at some museums, that's great. Move it, like do that, move on to the next thing, mm-hmm. you know, like if we could get it at the best places in the world. I mean, we're really America focused, so I don't really focus much on international books buying or anything like that, just because it becomes too expensive to, mm. to ship books, to, to find places to sell them, to send bulk. I mean, all that stuff, like for Europe, it's like, they want me to pay that. They want me to pay taxes to ship books to Europe. Um, and it's just like, or, it's, they want you to pick, you know, it's just like kind of, I don't, I'm not a citizen. I don't get any benefit from these taxes. Why am I paying your mm-hmm. citizens taxes? So yeah. like things like that kind of annoy me. And then I just say like, I'm just not shipping to Europe. I mean, like that's, 
that's kind of how I feel about it, actually. I mean, it's probably not the right way to make money or business, but like, I don't care. Like, it's just too much of a pain in the ass. And if I go to the post office and they're like, it will cost $60 to ship this to, to England. I'm like, the book costs $28. (laughs) So, you know, there's issues with our postal system. Man, I just bought something on eBay and I did it. I did the buy now option. And then immediately I was like, fuck, man, because I didn't realize that the shipping on it was something like 65 bucks from like Michigan or something. I'm like, I could have... I should have got a. I could have got a Greyhound ticket. <laughs> went back got, and like, forth I hope you have a cousin in Michigan. You could have got somebody to pick that shit up. Saw them later. Damn man, got me. I know it's all um, the time with that. It just happens, and it's like, damn, it's just too expensive to. It's very expensive to ship books to people. I take a lot. Hmm. I mean, like at this point, if I'm shipping to Canada, I charge people twenty five dollars, but it'll cost me thirty five, forty bucks to ship a book to Canada every time. So every time right. somebody buys a thirty dollar book. With the twenty five dollars on top, it cost me thirty five dollars to ship it. So I'm selling a book for fifteen dollars, eighteen. Wow. Which is whatever. Wow. I mean, I just want them to have the book, and I still made a profit. So you know, whatever. As long as every day one person goes on the web. I mean, hopefully, usually more than one person buys a book a day, but not much more than that. It's not like the books are like flying, and I don't have that many to sell. So because um, they kind of sell, uh, but yeah, if I can sell one book. At $50 per day, I fed my family for that day. That's all I need forever. So for people listening who may have been interested in, you know, publishing a book, going through the process, um, these numbers don't necessarily sound enticing, right? But I know like there is, but from what you're saying, it's not about the numbers, as long as you're not losing money, it's not about the numbers, right? So um, it's not even about the money. It's just about like, what are you going to do with the book that is going to raise your level? How are you going to up your, like up yourself with the book? Like if something costs five grand, are you going to make it worth it? It doesn't have to come Mm -hmm. back. The money doesn't have to come back, but what are you going to do with that? Like for me, it was like making my own books. I'm self-published. I now have a co-publisher. Like I did my last book with a co-publisher in Germany, which was great, but I am pretty much a self-publisher. So my first book costs, let's talk about cheap books. Cause I think expensive books, I don't know if they're worth it because your people are not going to buy the book you think they're going to buy, right? Like if you have friends and you're selling a book for $75, you're not going to have friends that buy that book as much as you think they are. But mm-hmm. if your book's 28, $24 smaller, you may have three times the amount of people that want to buy it. And it's way cheaper to make that. So Let's say a book is seven by nine inches, has 64 pages, which fits about 35 images. Seven by nine inch, soft cover, soft cover book. That for, let's say you need 300 copies. I think that if you can't, one, if you can't sell 100 copies yourself, I don't think you should make a book. You probably don't need a book. If you can't personally sell 100 copies of it. Because hmm. at 100 copies is when you can start to like not lose money. So for me, it's like, uh, that seven by nine inch, 64 page book um, costs probably, let's say it costs $5,000. That's a high estimate, but like, let's say it costs five grand to make a very cheap looking, you can make it beautiful, but it's not expensive looking. It's like a, a soft cover book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's call it five grand. Before COVID, that was two and a half, three grand. And after COVID, it's five grand. Uh, mm-hmm. So, because um, inflation is crazy. 
So let's say it's five grand. You have a hundred friends that you know want this book, and you're going to sell it for thirty-four dollars times a hundred. That's thirty-four hundred dollars. You have ten people that will buy a two hundred dollar print from you with the book. Addition of ten, you just sell out the addition of ten. That's two grand plus the thirty-four hundred. That's fifty-four. You sold 110 books. You're getting 300 in the mail, which means you have 190 left to sell for profit. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So if you can sell 100 books, then you can make a project and you can just do it yourself and you won't lose money. Even if you, if you lost 400 hours, whatever, you'll probably make it back off the sales. So because you have 200, you 190, first... let's say you have 150 books to sell after for 30 bucks or whatever and that's $4,500 so what was your first experience what was your experience with your first book like how did you you know it, you hearing you talk and seeing you do the math and doing the numbers right it looks like you it sounds like you have some extensive experience in this right um but when you're first starting you know you're kind of figuring all of this out right so what are some of the um the roadblocks that you you discovered in the beginning, you know, to help get you to this point where you understand the math and the numbers as well as you do. That pricing I gave you for a book like that size is very expensive. And it's expensive because I make good books, right? You can make that same size thing in America or in Canada and print it digitally, digital offset instead of offset. Like a lot of things can change and you can make that 5,000 thing cost about 2,000. You can do that, but it won't look as good as the one I make, right? And that's mm-hmm. kind of the only difference. So you could make a book that size for two grand, still charge the same, and now you're in profit as soon as you've made it because you only need to sell 40 of them to make $2,000 or 50, 60 of them, whatever. It doesn't matter. But um, for me, let's say this book you're seeing right here, this is called The Testament Project. I did two of these books year mm-hmm. after year, one of men, one of women. Um, and this project is pretty much I sit or someone like, a, like somebody that comes with the people sits in a chair and and the the person in the photograph chooses a color combination on an app there's four they're surrounded by four color changing lights and they're choosing their color combination to give them some agency in the at least the color of these photographs um so people choose their own colors that's pretty much what the deal with this project is um and this this is kind of about like giving some you know agency back to people in that are in the in the um in the seat of the view of the what is it called the the model pretty much um Mm -hmm. so that book there is nine and a half by eleven and a half inches i think there is 64 pages it was printed digitally in canada at a press named hatteras which is now no is that right no that's wrong um that was printed at a press named quadrascan which is now graphiscan out of montreal and we made i made uh Actually, you made 500 copies of that women's book because what I did is because I was having some shows of this stuff at the same time is let's just talk about the men's book first. Men's book was first, and that was about the same size. More pictures, 80 pages, digital offset. Probably cost me $3,000 to make. I did not make many of those. I think I probably made $200 or $300, and it cost me about $10 to $12 a copy to make them. So let's say I spent four grand and got 200, uh, 300 books, four grand, mm-hmm. pretty cheap. Color looks pretty decent. I mean, but you know, I, yeah, it was just the way I could do it and afford it. So what I would do, like say it costs four grand or let's, yeah, say it costs four grand. 
I tried to pre-sell it at $40 a piece. Maybe I got 50, like, I don't think I got enough to pay for the whole thing, but I had a thousand in the bank, I guess. So I paid for it. Um, when, before it got printed, I had, I was having a show at a gallery named Blue Sky in Portland. So I was like, Hey, do you want to just let me put your name in it? And it'll be a co-published by you and me. You don't have to pay for anything. You don't get to design anything, but you can mm -hmm. have a few for the gallery opening and you do what you do. What you do. I'll give you some copies you can sell. And that's that. Um, so they said, yeah, of course, because why wouldn't they say that? Or why wouldn't they say, why would they say no? And that got me interested in like, okay, well, if they're going to be co-publishing, even though they didn't do the work, now I have their, their cred on my name. And that was one. And then we, and the next year I did the women's book and a press by that point, they saw that book and, uh, sorry, they meaning a college named Bryn Mawr in, in outside of Pennsylvania, uh, Philadelphia, all, all women's school. And they wanted a show of the they wanted this testament project show in their space. So they had money. They're a private university and they have money. So they were like, we'd love to do a project. We'd like, we'd love to do a book with you. Just like the book you did. Um, you're with blue sky. Right. So mm -hmm. I was like, cool, we can do that collaboration deal. But they were like, cool, make 500 copies and we'll pay for them. You get to keep 200 copies. We'll keep 300 and give them free to students. And I was like, Oh my God, I don't care. Go for it. Cause I didn't have to pay for any of it. They gave me the check, and then I made the books. And then they gave you extra that. books. They gave you extra that you can actually make a profit. I got 200 books for free that I sold out within three months. And, yeah. And I actually – then they were just sitting at the opening, and no one was taking them, so I took a few of those too. Because I was like, every one of these <laughs> books that are sitting here, I'm going to be able to make $40 at least on. Mm -hmm. So, you know. <laughs> what up, y'all? I hope you're enjoying this conversation so far. We do our best to bring up as many dope artists as possible, and we do that with your support. And here are a few quick ways you can show some love. One, share and promote the episode with your people. Only takes a few seconds, and if you dig it, chances are your people are going to dig it as well. Two, subscribe at youtube.com slash at BOKShutter. Stay updated on all the new content. All right, y'all. We appreciate you. Now it's back to the show peace what so what was your life like before you got into like the gallery space like were you always business-minded like how did you get into like, it sounds college. like you <laughs> yeah but you know a lot of artists a lot of photographers you know going similar routes you know mm -hmm. like i'm sure like within your class like your your classmates um not everybody has the same outlook, has the same yeah. business mind, you know? So like, it's it's always interesting to find artists who do have um, business acumen, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And I'm always interested in how they got to where they are now. Well, my dad ran his own company. So that was one thing. He ran his own, uh, like a manufacturing company, um, remote controls and remote con like receivers and stuff like that. He makes them like, since he was a kid, he wanted to make them, saw Star Trek, really wanted to make them. And no one made it. I mean, when Star Trek came out, remotes didn't exist. So it was like the first time you saw a remote was on Star Trek, uh, the wow. original Star Trek. So he was like, I don't know what that is. No one does. It doesn't exist. So he learned how to do that. Then by the time he got out of college, he started his own college. He didn't go to college. He was like, he went to high school of art and design in the city. Same day he graduated, he went to go build a house in New Jersey with his dad who ran a construct, like was in a construction company. So like that was his life, right? But on the side of that, he was like building bass guitars and like figuring out electronics. You know, he still does all this. I mean, if I, if anything's like, if anything is not perfect, 
I will give it to him and he will make it perfect again. Right. Like I can find an old Bang & Olufsen vinyl player, like a record player on eBay. He will make it work. Like, wow. so that's my dad. So that was growing up with him. He built like, you know, he, he's just building remotes. He was building remotes out of marble. I mean, when I was a kid, when I was like six years old, he was building 12 by 12 inch from tabletop remote controls for rich people that were made of marble and quorum and had <laughs> backlit LEDs in 1986. Yeah. Right. And I was, and I used to go to those people's houses with him and like install the stereo that this worked with the blinds, the lights, the kitchen, everything worked on that remote. So I was like, okay, that's cool. Um, mm-hmm. That's how I grew up. And my mother was a work, uh, you know, she, she is like a uh, kind of, she's a saleswoman. She sells medical. She's serious business. My mom's serious business. Um, so I had those people as my parents and, you know, we're just like middle class in Long Island. And um, with them saying, okay, to go to like college and do the thing, they were like, you, we'll pay for college, but we're not going to give you any money. You know what I mean? Like, so it was mm. like, I then started to freelance in college immediately. I mean, second year I was photographing people's play performances, dance performances, headshots, um, anything for $20, $15, $30. I was probably losing money because I was buying film, experimenting mm-hmm. in very dark rooms and like trying to figure out if I can get something. I was photographing dance performances on a tripod with a medium format film camera in the dark at ISO. I mean, I was using ISO 400 film and pushing it to 3200 going in the dark room, developing it. And I was, I probably spent 10 hours on a job made four, made 40 bucks. <laughs> so, but that's, that's, that's paying the dues, man. That's and I kept dues. doing that. Like freelance has been really good for me. I've always done a little bit and now I get to just do that for a living freelance. Wow. So I like how, you know, things sort of trickle down, you know, like you, your, your father went to, his father's job and watch what he did. And, was and when I got out of college, stuff. I went to his job. I went to my dad's, yeah. dad's company. He was like, you can be here for a bit. And I did. And I didn't, I wasn't doing well because I just didn't, I didn't have any motivation mm-hmm. there, which is unfortunate. It was just like not the right fit. And I got out of there within a year, I think, and started to, you know, shoot for other people. Man, that's that's great, man. You know, I have a I have a son, and he's watching everything that I do. And um, at, right now, sometimes he wants to, you know, do what I do, and sometimes he wants to do something else. But it just remind, it's just a reminder that um, this little person is watching. You know, oh yeah, no, I have a little everything. kid, a little eighteen month old boy. So mm-hmm. same deal. Congrats, man. Watching, I'm watching him right yeah. now. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So. Um, you know, I have a background in graphic design and mm-hmm. art direction, and um, so I sort of built that career path. And then, while on that path, I got into photography and just kept pushing that. So, kind of like at, at some point, kind of went down these, you know, these two paths simultaneously, uh, and they're re- they're related because photography and graphic design and art direction go hand in hand, right? But craftsmen, as, as far as craftsmanship. There's a, a a certain amount of experience you need to have with a camera and with people in order to be good, become good at photography, right? So, um, but looking at books and layout for me, I'm able to see uh, how images can work together, how color plays together, and how sequencing photos goes together. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
they say that uh, photographers are usually their own worst editors. Yeah. And and looking at like your books and your layouts, like how do you approach? Um, how do you how do you put all of these different things together in order to make a book? Like the tech, like how do you determine if a book should be hardcover, softcover? Uh, if it's like a canvas material, mm-hmm. um, if it's like when you open it up, it's twenty by twenty versus something that's smaller. Like how do you decide all of these different details that determine how a person experiences a book? Money. I mean, I think that one of the things is like hard co- anything that is cloth or hardcover is going to cost more money. So yeah, if okay. you are an artist that doesn't have any following or like we're, you know, if we're working with somebody that, you know, you know, there's, we can do things with stretch goals, of course, like we can make something hardcover if we got more money in the bank. But usually mm-hmm. we're making things on like such a tight budget that all that stuff is built in to like the beginning. So I talk to artists before we even design or like talk about mm-hmm. like what the book will look like and say, these are the options. Um, it can be this big. If it goes bigger then it costs this much. And you know, we just can't, unless you, unless you know that you've got people that are going to buy this, then there's no way that we can afford to make mm-hmm. it. So that's one, you know, it's like a little bit of that. Um, but that's different. That's different than sequencing. I mean, sequencing is totally the art side. And then mm-hmm. all that other stuff is like the, the production side. So production yeah. side is really artist dependent and it's really hard to tell like, you um like how we choose because every single book and every artist is very different um Mm. sometimes we do these sets of books which are pretty solid meaning they have an idea already so you have to fit it within this ideal like we do the series named lost they're eight and a half inches tall they're seven inches wide they have either 48 or 64 pages in them if you have under 30 pictures you're getting a 48 page book if you get if you have over that then you get a 64 page book and we have to fit it in there somehow so, um, so yeah, so that the, the production side is a whole different thing. It just, it can be, it's just very random on the sequencing side. Yes. Artists are bad at sequencing their own work. And if you don't show your work to other artists often, then, then you can't tell what's good or bad. You can't tell what mm-hmm. will last and what will not last. I mean, I think a really, these days we have Instagram. We don't use it. We don't use it properly because artists should be talking to their artists on it. Not like trying to shill or, you know, sell shit all the time. I think it's like a breeding ground for like getting ideas out and seeing like what works, what doesn't like if I, I put images on Instagram all the time that are like, I've been thinking about for a long time. Uh, and maybe, you know, no one else like gives a, you know, I, who knows? I, they're like, I don't show art to people that often. And if I put something on Instagram and I'm getting a lot of like feedback, good or bad, then I know that maybe that works. And if I don't get anything and I get no likes or nothing like that, that sometimes tells me that like nobody gives a shit about this photograph. And then I start to not give a shit about that photograph also, but that's one piece. I mean, you can't really, you can't do that with like making books as much just because Instagram is a popularity contest. And if it's not flashy, then people Mm -hmm. pass it by, but it is a, it is a kind of uh, you can tell that way, but I would say for most artists, you should have at least like eight to 10 people that you send pictures to all the time that you can say like, check this out. Is it, you like this? You're not what's going, what is good? What's bad? Like all that stuff. It's really important. Different age groups, like professor, like your old professor should be getting your work. People that you just met, maybe if they're really cool, should get your work. People that are your friends, people that don't know your work very well. Like all those different types of people looking at the work is a good idea. 
And uh, so it sounds like you have that. Well, you just have to email people and hope they answer back, right? So how 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 effective has that been for you and and when when it comes to the books that you make? I've never made a book without showing the work to many people before it was made. Mm-hmm. Many people. But I also That's never make like, a book right at the time of the art being out. I mean, usually a book comes after the art has existed. So years after sometimes. So there's always kind of a there's already a basis for why the pictures would be in the book. Like mm-hmm. I photographed in uh in like during COVID, I was down south photographing like Confederate monuments. That's pretty much what I did for a summer of COVID. And mm-hmm. um it took me till now to make that book. Like this year I made that book. But it was like a lot of planning is a lot of moving parts, get like working with a co-publisher to like figure out what's good on their ends. They're in Germany, what needs to be in German, um, you know, like all that stuff you have to kind of figure out, um, like going back and forth thinking, should it be two books? Cause they're kind of separate projects. Should it be three books? And then eventually saying it's one big book. Cause all this work is American problems. So like kind of mm. going through that stuff takes a long time and you need, I just have people that, help me through it and it could be random like i think one person like a woman named i think a woman named christine potter who is an excellent excellent photographer i think she's the one who the first person that was like you this is one book not two and that was like i just needed to hear that at that time um and it was very helpful yeah a, a lot of photographers work um work alone you know um it could be i've heard this from um a few people uh, that photography sometimes is like a lonely sport, you know, um, we go out into the world, especially like photojournalists and documentary photographers. Um, I feel like commercial photographers may have a little bit more support because commercial jobs are usually work with but like those are jobs. a team. Those are not like, art. You know? I mean, it is art, but it's not like a, it's not the same as just being creative on the street or like doing your own art Mm -hmm. project. That's a working job for a a company that needs those pictures. Like it's totally different than you like making something that doesn't have to go somewhere. Like for you to make artwork that doesn't need to be in a client's hands by Friday at 5 PM is a very different realm. And maybe your friends don't need to be a part of that. But, um, but I think that there's two, of course, like you photographing is an independent process. You do what you need to do. But when you come back, you need to be showing this work to other people. I mean, there's not, you can't make, you can't make great photographs in a vacuum. I mean, you can make the, the photograph, but you can't produce that into the world without like other people because you need other people to see the work. Indeed. You need to relate to Indeed. other people with the work, I should say. I mean, is is a vulnerability thing. Right. Like, um, that's the reason why a lot of people hoard photos. Yeah. You know, it's vulnerability. It's time because most people have day jobs. So it's like, I'm now, you know, you work all day at 8 PM. You can start looking at your photographs until you fall asleep. Like it's, you know, it's a hard, it's a hard life for artists. Um, there's a lot of different things that happen. There's no way to tell. It's just like, you just got to make a, you got to make a photograph and you got to show people it. It can be private or, or in public, but you know, it's hard for me to make photographs that I would imagine no one ever seen. But see, I think that that's, that goes back to the mindset of, you know, you, you have the mindset of a, a, a photograph you make, some artwork that you make needs to be out in the world. And that's why you have the mindset of making books. And there's a, like, 
like I, I'm, I'm like I'm, I'm one of the hoarder photographers, right? And mm-hmm. I don't do it on purpose. Um, and I'm, 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 I'm on this journey trying to figure out why do I have so much work that hasn't been seen or released? Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes I feel like I just like the creating part of the process, and I get something out of being in the moment and creating, and then this work will be sitting on my drives and like, I'll forget about it because I, I want to go back out and create more yep. work. So yeah. the sharing and the marketing part of things is something that I don't always think about. It's something that I can improve on, but I'm really just more like, I just want to create, 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 create. Yeah. And I know like that's how some folks um, won't be discovered for like 40 years. And then like, you have all these cartons of, film and like it's like the vivian meyer uh thing you know where like they discover like a storage (laughs) a storage room full of unprocessed film yeah right like um i'm not saying i'm like on that level but i'm just saying like i i I, I wouldn't go so far and say that vivian meyer is a great photographer i mean i'm i'm also i'm in the camp of like that works fine and Mm -hmm. because it's no one's ever seen it doesn't mean it's special but anyway i get but uh, for me it's like Yes, I make a bunch of work that no one's ever going to see because I'm making Long Island City landscapes. I probably have 4,000 photographs within two miles of this house that most people have never seen. I've probably mm-hmm. shown people 50 of the 5,000 pictures, right? That's fine because there's always something in public that I am showing, and there's always stuff that I'm working on that probably no one will ever see. Mm-hmm. So if you can mix that up a little bit, like work on your stuff, but at a, at some point put one thing out. I mean, realistically, I mean, where, how do you find people to look at your work at this point? It's either going to be Instagram or like a mailing list or something on the web. I mean, it's not going to be mm-hmm. in person. So that's how you have to do it. I mean, if you, it's unfortunate that those are our only like, there's other ways, I guess, but I don't know. There's not a lot of ways to get your art out into the world. So that means that more people are just going to be like, I, I don't need to do it because there's just not a lot of good ways to do it. But I think mm-hmm. that that, then you miss out because all these other very basic photographers are getting paid, man. paid and getting opportunities. I mean, I, I judge a lot of competitions and, or I have judged a lot of competitions and, you know, if I have to choose a top 10, I could definitely just choose six. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't need the 10 because <laughs> even if there's thousand people applying, I'm like, this stuff, no one's going to care about this work. Like, mm. and I shouldn't say it like that. I mean, the people that make the work care, and I think it's important to make artwork, but it's been done. Like most of the work that you see in these things has been done before or, and half of it's just really bad. Like no research, no process, no, no care or a little care, you know? So, you know, you can win a lot of stuff. I mean, people that don't apply for things that are good photographers are really missing out because you should see who wins awards. Hmm. I mean, I you can, you can definitely like, apply for awards for like $10,000 and you don't know in the background that only 40 people applied and they're giving it to one of 40 people, right? Like mm-hmm. you don't know Those how many great people odds. apply for these things. Those are great odds. Whatever a competition you think that you want to be applying for, less people, less people submit than you think. Every mm-hmm. one of them. Yeah. I remember reading about that, even with um, like cereal boxes, you know, I, re- I remember reading about this in the context of like back in the days when uh, you'll buy like a box of Frosted Flakes yeah. and it was like, a, 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 you know, send this in, submit it, whatever. They yeah. were like, yo, 
do it because most people don't because they don't believe that they're going to win. Yeah. People, people feel defeated before they even start. So it's the same thing with um, submitting to exactly uh, contests and galleries exactly and, and all of that stuff. I mean, you could have, one uh, thing that I've... The, one thing, hold on. One, one, yeah. one thing I've found is like there's a lot of um, there are people who decide that they are great at something before putting in the work, and these are the folks that like they announce themselves before they even get there, and they haven't even really put in the work. And then there are really talented people who are like hesitant to share their work because they care about it. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's this this weird thing that happens where you have like subpar um, people, like creatives who haven't put in the work, haven't trained, haven't done the research, like you said, who are like putting their work out there and getting these opportunities because a lot of the folks who have gone to school, who have trained, who have researched and put a lot of care into their craft are just a lot more reserved with sharing it, you know? I think that all it takes is nerve. That's what my grandma said. I mean, mm-hmm. like, do all these singers that make millions of dollars, can they sing? I mean, like, uh, you know, like, anyway, but, like, it's nerve. And if you have the nerve to get your work out there, then someone else will see it. And it does mm-hmm. not have to be great. I mean, because great is relative and no one really cares. I mean, like, the, people make art for the art world, and that's one piece of work that you can definitely see. And then people make work for regular people, too, right? So, like, mm-hmm. you never know what you're going to see. And you never know what, like who is going to see the work. You never know who the juror, what the juror is feeling that month, you know? So how many submissions do you, would you get on a, like a typical like day or week or whatever? It's a good question. I mean, it's up and down, but I would say that I probably average a, a, somebody submitting something per day. Once mm-hmm. per day, I get a submission in the email. And what determines if this, if, if you, if you collaborate with them? if they're good, if it's good or not. I mean, like, that's it. Like if it's like realistic, like a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of photographers that make a series of something. So it's like, I made 40 of this thing. Mm-hmm. I'm almost uninterested in that at this point. I want to make, I want to show people photographs where you have some range where a photographer has the range, like 30 pictures that are the same series, but are very different in, in mm-hmm. like, appearance, not like, and we're talking about this while you're looking at this very, very similar project that I made of women with these color lights, Mm -hmm. which become very similar, but they are not. And, um, but they are more, you know, like would I choose a person to make a, like John Henry, uh, who we made, just made a book with, they're similar pictures, but they're all different mothers holding their play dead black sons in their arms all across the country. So the backgrounds are different. The the people are different. Oh, I know that. I know his work. Yeah. So the people are different. Backgrounds are different. The, the feeling is different. The, the forms are different, but it is very similar. It's like the same type of work in all the pictures. So that is what I'm talking about. Like there's a way to do it. And there's a way like where there's like 20 portraits that are on the same gray backdrop, you know, and they're all looking at the camera and that's just not going to happen. Yes. It's it's still, it's still redundant. Mm -hmm. And of course, if it's not helping with culture at this point, I'm not making it. I mean, we're really trying to work with a little bit of culture in our books as well. Hmm. So when you say if it's not dealing with culture, what does that mean for you? As for a me, it's like if it doesn't like move along all the bullshit problems that we have in this world. Like if the book is just about your like the beauty of photography or like photographing like a beautiful field and some like mountains and shit, like I'm uninterested. So like for me, it's like <laughs> like I want to see pain in these photographs. I want to see yeah. that you 
are dealing with the world and trying to make work based on a world that is shared pretty much. Mm. So I know like in with books, you have the op, the option and the opportunity to include like written text sometimes uh-huh. uh, from, from an outside writer, sometimes uh, handwritten text, you know, from the person who's being photographed, like in this, it looks like that's that's happening in this situation, right? So yeah. there is that personal element that can be added to to the book format, you mm-hmm. know, um, that that personalizes it. Totally. I mean, th- that book has a seven part story by one of the art, like one of the people in it. Um, a seven part story. Yeah. So each one of those handwritten pieces is there's seven of them in the book, and they connect. There, it's one long story. Mm. That was pretty much a video story that you can see on YouTube of a guy talking like 12 minutes about him going to the hood and like figuring it, like dealing with this very strange situation of, or, you know, the, of not strange in the hood, just a situation where a mother has four kids. They're all different colors. One's white, one's black, one's Hispanic, one's, you know, like, and are they all the same? They're the same. They have the same mother. They act the same. Yeah. So like kind of dealing with what is black, what is, mm. what does it mean to come from the bottom? That's what this story is about. With with him in particular, not that guy. It's it's not his story. So that's his what, story. Like, no, no, not his story. Uh-huh. Okay. I mean, it could be a little bit of it. I mean, I think it's a little bit of all of our stories actually. But the women's book is is their stories are next to their page, like next mm-hmm. to their faces. But this is one story that goes through the book. Yeah, I mean, these books definitely. Um, you gotta you know flip through them and, and, and get to experience them. I remember um, learning how to how to turn a page of a photo book. Right, oh, yeah. you're like mm-hmm. you, you don't just like start flipping. Right, you don't you want to make sure like the weight is evenly balanced and yeah, your yeah. hand you don't is flat. The pages, yeah. You don't crease or get like one of those small rips. Like oh, you know, yeah. with a library Definitely book, not. you don't really care. You just like whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, and then also like washing your hands. You know, making sure you don't have any grease or yeah. leftover food residue. The you books know, are expensive. Um, they're really expensive to yeah. make, and they're really beautiful projects with a lot of printed matter. And you want them to last. I mean, especially if you're semi collector. I mean, I'm a semi collector, so I don't. You know, I touch the books very rarely. Hmm. Just because I know that they're you know they're worth more than I when I bought them. Usually, most of them. Wow. If you choose well, so, sometimes that happens. So. What's the plan for the books as you get older or you, uh, once, you, once you pass? They exist in museums. I don't need to do much. I mean, like, for me, it's like I still have – I keep 10 or so of each book. I try to. Sometimes I don't. But I try to keep those for a long time so that if a museum comes to me later, I can sell them a copy of the book even if it's 10 years old. And that happened, mm. actually. Be like Smithsonian wants, like, a book that we made that sold out a long time ago. And I'm like, I'll find you a copy and I'll, and you can buy it whenever you want, but I'll hold it for you. until you have the money for it. Cause at this point it's not $40 anymore. It's 500. And I'm like, mm-hmm. if you want it, you got to pay 500. I mean, mm-hmm. I'll have it, but you got to pay 500. <laughs> yeah. Which is like a weird move, but still, it's just like the way it has to be. Well, I, I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think it's weird if the, if the uh, demand for the book is, is there. And then also, based, for, but the demand is based on my, me. It's not real demand. It's like I made it and now I still have it, but now I charge more. I know. Yes. But I, what is the, it's still like, what is the, what's the basis? If I put it mm-hmm. online for $40, would somebody buy it right away? I have no idea. 
But if that organization can't go online and buy it, they have to get it through you. Yeah. Right? Like you you determine the price. Yeah. And it was determined before them. It's not like I made the price to sell it to them for more expensive. Is that is that um frowned upon? Like if if you they want make it, a decision so it's not based upon on by the, the buyer, I don't care. Cause you know, if they're gonna like use that book and they're making a lot of money, like having it on display. I don't think, right? you know, I, I think that m- more like is it show it's a good, like good project. They ha- they will find the money because museums have money to find. They can go out and mm-hmm. find the money and it's not a big deal. It's just like, if they want it, they're going to find a way to make it like to make, to get it. And if they don't want it, then they will not. Um, Indeed. So for me, it's like easy. It's just like, they won't contact me if they don't want to pay for it. But they contacted me like, we really want it. Hold it for us. So I was like, yeah, of course. Don't man. So there's one more book. Yeah. Uh, for the culture that's going into like these uh, organizations, institutions. If, you know, for for us, that's the important part. I mean, it's the it's it's the it's the best part for me. You know, to, for me to show that we have some pull in these institutions. Your book can be here amongst, you know, like I'm pretty sure like at this point, I would say that MoMA, Met, they have almost all of our books, right? Like like almost 75 to 85 books each. Or I think MoMA has every single book we've made minus one, I think. And maybe they have all of them, actually. But like that's that is amazing. Big. I mean, it's big. It's just that's like amazing. Yeah. You can type any of my people's names and a MoMA website could come up like MoMA library is going to come up with that name. So, like, for me, it's like, yeah, it's great. I mean, like, that's perfect. That's exactly what we wanted. Man, talk about legacy, man. Like, you you're, you're created something that gets books of people who would not have normally had their, their work shown in, in, in these museums, but now their work is, is accessible in these places, man. Totally. Like, I mean, and 75, yeah, totally. 80 books, that's amazing, man. It's I think amazing. it's great. I'll keep, you know, I, and for me, it's, it's great because I have connections with the people now, like those museums, mm-hmm. I, like I'm, I'm tied to them in a way and we are, we are bound together. <laughs> yeah. And they just yeah, want to, you know, they're all just in it to like make their people smarter. Right. I mean, that's what they want to do. They want to bring, they're trying to do something good for a community that, you know, no museums didn't do before. Like 15 years ago, ain't no museum buying these books. Like, they're they're not interested like and now Mm. things have changed and this is a real art form and it's the way to get more work in their galleries i mean like museums have three to six month shows you can show four things a year times the four or five galleries you have so you have 20 shows a year maybe at some of these institutions so if you have 20 shows a year who's going to get them people that already got them you're going to show i mean i imagine that all those museums are going to show yeyo kusama and basquiat and warhol Picasso, uh, you know, I can name the 20 that they'll show in rotation at the five major museums in New York. If they, I would imagine that they never not have one of those in their exhibitions. You know what I mean? Like if you look Picasso and say New York, I bet one of these museums is showing a Picasso show right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm full of shit, but like, that's how it feels to me at least. Um, so I know that there's no space for like a photographer that is from Queens, uh, made this work about black pain and black mothers really important stuff. They don't even, it's not even on their radar. It never will be. Mm. 
And that's why you are one of the few black publishers that people can like name. Well, I just think there's just none other. There's like one or two others that make some books, but not and not not a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and there must be others. There has to be. But in in this little realm of like this northeast photography book thing or American photography books, there's not many people of color doing it. I mean, mm-hmm. I know I know you know two Asian cats that run a company named uh, well not only them but like they run T T T I S books. Um, I can name. Dude named Workplay out in St. Louis, who makes some books. Um, Deadbeat, um, person of color running Deadbeat Deadbeat Club in in Los Angeles. One person of color, one non person of color. Um, but like, I can name five, maybe six people that make books consistently that are people of color in the industry. That mm. you know, and so what it is. What's what's one piece of advice? you would give to um, a young photographer color uh, making that kind of work that nobody like the rest of the industry doesn't seem to care about and want to promote, but they're interested in making books. Like what's like, what would you give them that they could take away from this conversation? Make your own book, make it cheap, find a press that's local. That will make you a staple bound eight by 10 inch book with 24 pages in it sell it with a print for $50 or, or make 50 prints and try to sell those 50 prints for $50 a piece for six months until you have enough money to, for that to pay for the book. Mm-hmm. And then you sell the book. And this way is, uh, that, uh, they're not going broke doing it. They've, they did their own fundraising in a sense. They did their own fundraising to, be able to pay for that because if you can do it yes you can do it on an inexpensive end you can do it on a more expensive end right if you can if you can start by saying i need a thousand dollars to make this eight by ten 24 page little thing a hundred copies of it then i know that that's going to cost me let's say you know eight by ten is a little bit oh strange size but like seven by nine inches it's a little smaller a little handheld it's nice twelve dollars a copy to make i need a hundred copies so that it's twelve dollars a copy if it's less, then it's going to cost way more to make them. So mm-hmm. I make I want to make a hundred copies of something, cost twelve to fifteen dollars a copy after they ship it to me. So fifteen dollars a copy, that's fifteen hundred dollars I need to make the book. Do I have fifteen friends, or do I have twenty friends that will give me seventy five dollars for a print, a beautiful print? How much does a print cost? Print costs you six bucks, seven bucks. That means you make sixty eight dollars times the you know forty people that want a book. Or a print. 40 prints is a hard sell. Can you sell, I'm, I'm confusing your people, but can you sell like 10 8 by 10 inch prints for 200 versus 25 8 by 10s for 75? What's harder? What's, mm-hmm. what's, what, what do you think your people would do? Do you have friends that have $200? Do you have friends that have $40, $30, right? Building up something to sell so that you can make something you want out of those sales is. I think the only way at this point, I mean, unless you have money, most people don't have any. So that's the only way I can, you can only trick the system. You want to get Mm -hmm. a publisher. It's going to cost you a lot of money. No one prints photography books for people that aren't famous for free and famous people still pay for to make those books. So, um, unless you're, uh, unless you're like, you know what, unless you're like really like just connected 
there's a few people that are connected and they can make whatever they want, even if they, you know, just came out. But like that only happens rarely. You have to have a big following to do that kind of stuff anyway. Like you can find a publisher if you have a following. If you don't have a following, then you're not going to, it's going to be very difficult for a publisher to even want to work with you. I mean, can a publisher sell books to a photographer that has 400 followers on Instagram? Like with your podcast, do you often have people that have no following on? No. There you go. No. That's the same. Because you can't. No. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I look at the work beforehand and I'm like, well, if if they're not really making a lot of work, then I don't know what we're going to be able to talk about. Yeah. I, I need to feel like there's some depth in the work. And usually photographers who have depth in the work have a certain amount of years experience and that years of experience has allowed them to grow their following in their network. Mm-hmm. Right. So it kind of all plays hand in hand, you know, which means you got to show people your work. I mean, there's no way to exist in a vacuum here. Mm-hmm. You can sometimes, but like you have to be really good and really, really connected. Um, so I think, yeah, you got to show your people. Like I tell photographers, Hey, if you're a photographer on the street, not like a photographer, like there's a few different types of photographers. There's some constructive reality people. And then there's people that work on the street, right? Like there's a lot of different types, but for me, it's like, I work outside. That means that I should be making work good or bad, decent or good, decent or great. There's something I can show people because I'm out there all the time making the work and I need to be showing people the streets, something that's going on because someone's going to feel it. Maybe not everybody, but somebody, but if you're like a constructive reality person where you're like, I make photographs as art, then it's way slower process. It takes longer to get it out to people. It's just a different process. So, I mean, there's those two different things. I mean, it's very hard for the process people to get big followings, Mm. right? If you're photographing portraits or on the street, you can probably get a bigger following just because you have more volume. Like if you have volume, then you should be photograph. You should be putting an Instagram picture at 10 AM every day, Instagram connected to Facebook, put it on LinkedIn, put it on thread. I don't know, not threads, but like put it on Twitter, like everywhere. You are your own marketing team. No one else will do any of that work for you ever. Hmm. That's how you should feel until people start to do stuff for you. Because you still, (laughs) when people start to do it for you, you should still do it for yourself. You can't stop doing it for yourself. Mm -hmm. And no one's going to help you do it for yourself. They're going to do it for them. And it's going to be different. I, when I, I did, I, I worked with Nat Geo and I had our National Geographic and before I started working with National Geographic, I had 1,700 followers on Instagram. And as soon as they, I posted the first picture on the at Nat Geo of like uh, this uh, Robert Lee monument with like a with um, yeah. just like that ended up being the cover, right? That picture came later, uh, not later in. I didn't post that one right away. That picture, okay. the the cover picture, was a little bit more of a secret. But this other picture was very similar. Um, but it was like more of a scene because it's like fireworks. There's people around like that you can visually mm-hmm. like see. Like it's a different scene. And after that day, I had 24 hours later, I had like 10,000 followers, right? And within the summer, I had 20,000 followers. And now I have 46,000 followers or something. And they're all fake. <laughs> oh, <that>? shit. <laughs> Not all fake, but like. They're bots. If I look at the follow list, if you ever looked at the people that follow me, 
it would just be like every day you get a hundred new, like I'll get 50, 75 new followers. 70 of them are fake out of 75. They don't exist. They're not real accounts. So how many, how many people are following me? Is it 1700 that I started with? Is it like 2000, maybe 3000, 5000? I have no idea, but it's all broken. So then how do, how do we play that game then? Like, that's why, this is why a lot of people stop posting. Yeah, but I right? mean, hell, you can't get like, more follow. You can't get more fake followers without playing. I mean, the thing is, like, what, what are you doing it for? Like, for me, I still have the people that my people are still there. My people are still mm-hmm. following me, so like, they're gonna see, they're gonna see it. I don't care about that other stuff. It's great for the numbers because it makes me look like popular. Um, that's cool, but I still, I'm not doing it for the bots. I'm putting pictures on so that I have a relationship with my people that are seeing it. Yeah, but if you think that. If you think that people are following your work, like if you think that out of the 10,000 that followed, the, uh, like that you've just reached 10,000 people who are actually interested in you and your work, mm-hmm. then we start to we start to feel like we, we, we the work that we're doing has a purpose. It just like we like we tapped the artery and now we just reached this whole group of people. Yeah. It makes us feel like, all right, I'm onto something. Right. And then to discover that, oh, actually, it's just this is all fake. Like what is actually working, and it's still, like how do you know how to play that game? Because you're working with the odds of percentages on the internet. I mean, the percentage is still that you have real people there. Mm-hmm. You don't have to reach the thirty-five thousand fake people. You only have to reach ten, and that's enough mm-hmm. for me, at least. I mean, it's been enough. I mean, it doesn't do anything. It's not like I'm making money on Instagram. It's just like consistent. Like maybe I am. Who knows, right? I, like. Who knows where people are seeing to buy the books or to, I mean, I don't really sell many prints, so that's definitely not happening on Instagram. I mean, it has in the past at some times, but it's all random. If you don't post, people will not see it and you will not get anybody. You will get nothing on the internet. And the internet is the way to make money. I mean, like, that is it. Internet yeah. makes you money. Nothing nothing in, in physical form is going to make you money, really. I mean, some if you get lucky, maybe, but like, who buys prints? When was the last time you bought a photo print? I don't, I don't remember, and not not from the photographer directly. Like, I'll see something like online, and just buy it that way. Yeah, you know, one of one of those. Um, not it's not a stock site, but artists basically just upload their stuff. And you could buy it. You could buy it framed, and yep. you could buy it as like towels and shower curtains. Yeah, and exactly. Like that, you I, know? Like, oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. and those, I don't think the artists are getting much money that way. You know, no, definitely not. I mean, in the, even with the prints, it's like how much can you sell a print for that would actually sell? There's a lot of things. There's a lot of concerns here. I think that the first thing I ever did was put a Kickstarter out and ask, I email every single person I knew to say like, I really want to make this book happen. Would you support me? And that was the way mm-hmm. it worked. I mean, like, that was the way I made the first money to make the first book. Mm-hmm. And I still so, have to come out uh, of pocket for that book because I didn't make enough. So it sounds like what you were mentioning as far as, like, if, the, if, if you're a young photographer who wants to get into putting out your own, you know, book, start out building up your tribe, figure out who in your corner will support you, will back you, start that way, whatever money you get from that, put it towards putting out a book you could you could choose like 100 200 copies but whatever money you make from being able to sell your work yeah goes towards that and then that's also building up the uh 
the the folks who will probably support buying your book when it's out? I think that you also just think about like you don't need you don't need a book. First off, you can. Does it have to be a book? Can it be print matter in some way? Can you make, you know, a big ass pamphlet or risographs or like anything like that is not a think out. I think people need to just think outside the box where it's 2023 and people have a lot of books at their house and it's very hard to sell them. It's very hard to sell books, especially because there's so much competition of great photographers that make them. It's just very hard to sell. Um, Mm -hmm. So it is a following that you need to grow so that people know that it's coming out. That's marketing. So you have to do that too. It's just no vacuum, I guess. It just, you just have to do all the work to try to get a little bit of something. The more the more work you do, the things will start to trickle. I mean, when I mm-hmm. made my first three books with other artists, not myself, we went to LA Book Fair and we had three books on the table or something. And or we had a few more, but like for the most part, we sold like nothing, man. We, we lost so much money in LA. But um, then like... The next year I had more books and then we sold more and the next year I had more books and I sold more because there's more to choose from more things for people Mm -hmm. to see. And I had to stick with it to try to figure out, like figure out that right. At some point I sold nothing on the internet for years. I was not doing any marketing. I still don't do any marketing, but I, but nothing sold. And now I do a little bit of Instagram marketing and my artists do the same thing and I'll sell a book here once a day kind of. So, so for me, it's like a, a time in the time in the market, right? Yeah. can't time the market, but you can put time in the market. Mm-hmm. And it's compounded, right? Hopefully. I mean, at this point, it's like things, the only way it doesn't compound is because like, um, because things cost too much to make now. Like mm-hmm. a project that used to cost me 6000 now costs 10000 So if I still am selling books for the same price because people don't pay more for books, then can I afford to make that book? But that's but, fine, um, whatever. We'll it sounds it like you exactly. I'm about to say you're in it for the long haul. Sounds like so. These, you know, there's always going to be new problems, right? In every field at, at different points, right? So we just have to figure out our way around those problems. Around those yeah, obstacles. I mean, if the problem is make less books, then I make less books. I'm not going to mm-hmm. make no books. Uh, but you know, this year we made three. Before COVID, we made COVID year we made 13, and before that we made 28 in one year. So we did a lot and now we've gone down and now next year Mm -hmm. we'll probably, or this year, this fall, we'll probably have another, a lot. I mean, it's going to cost a lot of money too, but I think we'll probably make 15 books this fall, a 14 book set and something else, maybe 16 books. Um, That's a lot, but yeah, we'll see how it goes. Especially since it's right around the corner. (laughs) Yeah. The timing is, uh, timing is a little, little pressing, but Mm -hmm. The artists are great. I have the work already. I need to do my sequencing work for all of them, get confirmations on if they like it or not, and then give it to the designer so that he can figure out how to just design around the sequence. And then, you know, we're good. We'll be all right. I hope. We'll see. We'll see. Nice, there, might be some, there will be surprises. <laughs> yeah, well... You know, um, it, it definitely sounds like there's ups and downs, a lot of things that you have to consider um, mm-hmm. in this process. But um, I appreciate you sharing um, everything you have shared. And I hope that, like, folks out there listening um, understand a little bit more about what it takes to um, publish a book and have a few more things to consider before they jump into this into this pool because it, uh, it, it does sound like it's a lot of money. It does sound like... Um, 
you know, is a lot of work, but it also sounds like there is also a lot of reward to be had, especially knowing that people sometimes, definitely all around the country, um, have your work in their hands on their bookshelves. You know, I think yeah. that, and that's something that can last for a very, very, very long time, especially when they get placed into institutions and libraries and museums. Totally. So, you know, make your, Chris, man, make your cover you. attractive. And that's it. That's another thing. Like, do not make a cover with just some text on it. If you're a photographer, I think like as a new photographer to make a book with just some text, that's like not going to work, man. You need to, you need like some bright colors on that spine so people can see it on the bookshelf forever. And a nice Stop trying picture. to be cool, right? Stop trying to be cool and, and, and subtle. You need to be bold. I think, I think that books need to be bold. Okay. N I think uh, because they're, yeah, they need to be bold because there's too many of them. Too many photographers make the books. So you have to stand out somehow. I mean, I, I saw this one side, this Japanese, ah, uh, oh, this paper is like foam. You touch it and it, it feels like a, a sponge and it comes in mm -hmm. all these like uh, fluorescent, not fluorescent, but like pastel colors. And I'm like, fuck, I don't even know how to use that, but I'm going to mm -hmm. try to use it on something. I don't know if you know if I can get it, but I'm going to try. So we'll see. Like things like that interest me. I've been thinking about that paper for four years. I don't know how to use it yet, but I'll try to figure wow. it out. You know, I just spoke with somebody who who um, figured out how to make an installation, like sculptures with like um, sugar cane. Oh yeah, like the the wow. the the, um, the scraps of the sugar cane, and it's this whole process of taking Whoa. that and then drying it, dehydrating it, and then adding water back to it and creating this mold. And, um, yeah, sugar cane. Wow. That yeah. is cool. So, you know, in this digital world, I feel like um, there's um, a lot of value in crafted printed material. Yeah. So and if you're going to print it, man, yep. make, it, make it worth it, right? Totally. And, you know, people are printing – people are – film is coming back up. Like people are buying film and shooting on film cameras. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like the world works in these waves and you don't know. We don't know what's going to happen next. We just mm -hmm. have to open ourselves up to like, you know, to, to make some good decisions on, you know, what we can do next. Indeed. Indeed. But yeah. Thanks for Listen, having me. Chris. Appreciate you, man. Thank you for sharing all that you've shared. And um, there's definitely going to be some information in the links below. So, uh, Chris, I appreciate you. And, uh, you know, keep fighting the good fight, brother. Thank you so much. Let's do it again. All right. Indeed. Peace. Peace. Yo, family, that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you for tuning in. We appreciate your support. Now, if you were digging this conversation, be sure to send the artist some love. Hopefully, some part of their experience inspired you to be a better artist and to be a better human. Be sure to follow us on youtube.com slash at BLK Shutter. On that note, we'll catch you in the next episode. Peace.